the next episode of Nerd, Flicks, and Chill will start in 3, 2, 1, 0. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd, Flicks, and Chill, and it's time for another Sharp Objects Recap. This time we're talking about Episode 7, the penultimate episode called Falling. Now, before we get into our recap of the episode, it is time to do another check with Carrie as to where in the world you are this week. Carrie, where are you? Right now, I am currently in, still in England, but now I'm in the northern part in a city called Leeds in the Yorkshire region. I just got here today, and uh, I've only had a brief moment to explore one of the things that I've done, and I know that our listeners will appreciate this, is I have been doing a uh, all-UK tour of all of the Forbidden Planet stores in all of the cities that we've been to. And if you're not familiar, Forbidden Planet is a geek paradise it's where you find all of your pop vinyls, all of your collectible figures, all of your uh, comic book and graphic novel needs and card games and such. So I've been going to the Forbidden Planet in every single city <laughs> that we've been in. And that was my first stop. As soon as I checked into the hotel, I dropped off my bags and walked to the Forbidden Planet. Awesome. And this this episode has not been sponsored by Forbidden Planet just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about this penultimate episode of Sharp Objects. Again, it was called Falling. Now, Carrie, I know you had some issues with last week's episode. I kind of liked it, although I do agree with some of what you're saying about uh, the pacing of the story. I'm curious to know, after this episode, what are your thoughts? This was a good episode. I really liked this episode, but part of me thinks it was, was it too little too late? You know, but I thought it was a good one, but there's only one more left and it seems as if we know how this is going to end now. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think we know how this thing is going to end. I mean, one of the things that we have to keep in mind about this show is that it is a Gillian Flynn story. And this is the same person who wrote Gone Girl, which has a very crazy kind of plot twist that takes place in there. So I don't think they are uh, giving us everything yet. I think we still have a few more reveals that are going to happen and some things that really may take this thing kind of over the edge. Probably. I mean, that's... I, I guess it's kind of like the M. Night Shyamalan um, curse, I guess, where now every time you see something by this author or by M. Night Shyamalan, you're always expecting this twist, you know, and uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I did like this episode. I don't feel that they've completely won me over. I'm still holding out to see what happens in the final episode. But uh, I feel a little bit better, I guess. I don't know if it's all okay. worth it yet. I have to see it all as a whole. So uh, just get some of my thoughts on this particular episode. I think it is a fantastic hour of television. I thought this episode was absolutely 
excellent. The execution of it was was really uh, nearly flawless. The performances are great. Amy Adams, when she has this kind of revelation about what's going on with Adora, her performance is remarkable. Um, I also love yeah. the, the, the kind of dark tone that this thing takes. I really, really thought this was great. I did too. I, um, I think, gosh, was it maybe episode, when we talked about episode two or three, maybe four? I'm not sure, but the whole thing with Adora is something that I kind of suspected with mm. her poisoning her daughter. Yeah, I think that is something that we kind of caught on to um, last week Yeah, in our recap. I think we kind of talked about the potential of that. Um. And yeah, it's something that gets revealed very early on in this episode. And, and what's also interesting to me is the way this episode starts. And I think the the actual, you know, reveal begins in the opening credits of this episode. The opening credits are always a little bit different. There's always different music. But I noticed that mm -hmm. some of the imagery in this particular uh, opening credit sequence was significantly different. And a lot of it involved, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but a lot of characters suffering while there are shots of Alan and Adora dancing. So it's almost contrasting their joy with other people's misery. And it happens very early yeah. right in the opening credits. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's something that I didn't give credit to in the last episode. Um, I, I immediately just jumped to why I didn't like it. Um, one of the things that I did like in last week's episode, and, and you briefly mentioned it, is how the episode started and it was kind of showing each of everybody kind of getting ready in the morning. And I liked that. And it reminded me of what they did. They did something very similar to that on Game of Thrones in um, one of their later episodes of one of the most recent seasons where they kind of showed everybody getting ready. Um, and I really liked yeah, the that. But anyway, it was just something that I, yes, it was just something that I forgot to mention. I, I forgot to mention a little bit of positivity from last week. So now I feel better. Well, so many episodes have started with Camille waking up. Um, you know, we've seen yeah. kind of her routine and, and a lot of times it involves these kind of flashback sequences. This one is a little bit different in it's this whole kind of odd dollhouse sequence where she's looking into this dollhouse and the lights are on and there's a figure moving around. And I'm starting to wonder if what we're starting to see from Camille is not necessarily flashbacks, but almost like memory fragments that have not all come together for her yet. Like maybe revisiting Wind Gap and revisiting some of this past trauma is starting to put together these pieces for her. And what we're seeing and what we've been seeing is this kind of incomplete puzzle, but it's also the same thing that's going on in her head as well. Right, because it's it's seeming as if she was in a drug-induced stupor for some of her childhood, but she fought back against it. So there might be periods 
where it is that haze. And that's what's kind of, I guess, coming to light now. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, she wakes up and, you know, Adora has changed her and put her into this gown. And uh, one of the things that I mean, it's it's a very creepy scene. And one of the things that we get right away, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it's really subtle the way that it's done. And I think it, it kind of clues us in as to maybe how controlling Adora is. It's when Camille wakes up and she tries to get out of bed and Adora puts her hand on her chest and almost forces her back into the bed. And Camille becomes yeah. very submissive to her in that moment. And it seems as though that is kind of a hint of her power that she has over her. Yes. And in that moment, it flashes back to when she was a child and Adora did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she tries to give her this, you know, medicine from a blue bottle, of course. And, you know, at this point, you've kind of got it figured out that, that Adora is doing something to these girls. Yeah. You know, we also get that scene with Amma where she is talking to Camille about taking the blue. And there's the whole thing about the the dollhouse as well. And whose figurine does she put on the top of the dollhouse? You know, I'm not sure. I remember when I, 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 I remember when I was watching it thinking that might be something significant. Now, I will say this. I was watching it on my cell phone while I was on a tour bus. So mm. I couldn't see it very well. So I'm not sure. I was, I thought it was like kind of herself and putting her on the top of the house, maybe suggesting that maybe Emma was contemplating suicide, but I don't, I don't know. And I haven't rewatched it yet to kind of focus in on that scene. What I do think is interesting is that in that dollhouse, there is something behind Adora's door that Camille is not allowed to see. And I wonder what that is. Hmm. Because there are some of those moments in there as well that uh, that definitely raise suspicion. She not allowed to see or has her mind blocked it. Right, right. I'm also curious, too, this this whole imagery of fans is really strange to me. We see so many shots of spinning fans. Yeah. Maybe that's just to symbolize the thoughts in her head. The thoughts in her head are spinning. I think one of the things that's going to happen is I think we are going to get a reveal that Camille's cutting is not solely her own. She has full words carved into her back. That's what I was just going to say, because when she was laying there, there's no way that she, even if you're using a mirror, there's no way she would be able to put those words on her back. No way. Right. Right. So I'm wondering if we're going to see kind of a continuation of one of those scenes where maybe she is staring at a fan while... She is having these things carved into her body. I'm not saying that she's not a, uh, that she's not a cutter, that she hasn't done some of this stuff, but what I'm saying is it's, it's probably not just her that's done it. Cause I kind of was wondering that, yeah. like, how is she getting full words carved into her own back? Particularly in locations yeah. where arms don't reach. Right. 
And that's where we're starting to see this thing kind of take this this really dreary turn. I mean, this episode, I think, is so haunting. I've been thinking about it since I stopped watching it. And even though you kind of know the reveal's there, it's still impressive. Yeah. No, I agree. And my worry, though, like I said, is it almost too little too late. Because I think some of the episodes in between dragged on and felt repetitive and it's it's like you i'm afraid that people like myself would have given up on it before they got to this point because i think this one was really good and this episode is kind of like what i was hoping for early on and now granted i understand with the storytelling and their stuff in this one that they couldn't reveal and i don't mean it literally but i mean with the the I don't want to say excitement because it's it's very dark and haunting, so it's not exciting, but um to watch this is exciting and it gets me into it and um I, I again I can't help but compare it to like Stephen King because which for some people that is a high a huge compliment, but for me it's not so much because I find that a lot of what happens in the middle of a lot of Stephen King novels is very drab and very boring, but then they end on a really high note. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I it's a double edged sword, I guess you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, with this episode in particular, though. I don't know if people if people left and stopped watching. Uh, I think they've done themselves a disservice because this episode is just so damn good. Uh, like I just I was so on board for for everything that they were pulling off here. Uh, some of the scenes are so deeply personal and troubling. Like we have this this whole sequence that takes place with uh, John Keane and Camille in the hotel room, and that whole oh sequence gosh. is is really it's it's. It's unsettling, yet it's totally yeah. within character. Um, and it's strange because it is the most alive that Camille has seemed this entire series. Well, it's the most she has allowed somebody in. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it was in the daytime she allowed him to read her and and that's like those were her exact words which i thought was very interesting um, yeah and there's kind of there's almost she, like a there's almost like a joy on her face in a in, in this kind of weird way i did not see it as joy i i don't i don't know if that would be Maybe Correct not joy, maybe comfort or no. intimacy. Like, it does not, like, most of the, like, yes, their sexual encounter reads bizarre. Absolutely. But there is something, there is something that reads in her as, um, as, as like, I, it's hard to explain. It's hard to, to find the right word to say it, but she's almost, She's almost, I don't know, she's almost glad that somebody's reading her, in a way? Or surprised? I, I, don't, know. I don't know the right word or the right interpretation. I saw it first as, you know, she, first it was, it was trepidation. She was allowing herself to be vulnerable. Because before, like, for example, when she was with the detective, she's like, no, it's under my terms. You know, I'm taking control of this. 
And and she was now she's allowing herself to be vulnerable. She's found somebody who understands this pain that she feels. And and she's letting him in. I almost saw it as relief that she could let go, that it was a release, that she wasn't having to pretend she wasn't having to hide anything that she could let go. And that's what I saw it as. Um, now, if you interpret that as something joyful, I, I guess it could be, but I, I didn't see it necessarily as that. I, I saw it more as a a letting go kind of a thing. Um, Maybe relief is a better term. And, yeah. But also within this scene, we know what's coming. We know how this is going to end. Like, you know the police are en route. You know that Vickery is on his way with Richard. You know they're both going to kick down the door. You know they're going to catch her in the room. Uh, that does not take away from how heartbreaking the aftermath of that scene is. Yeah, I I have to admit, though, and I guess it's naivety on my part, but I was surprised that Richard was there. Um, and the and the only reason that I was is because I know that, that Richard and, and the sheriff, they seemed to kind of be at odds, and it seemed as if the sheriff was just going to be going there on his own. I but So when they showed Richard come through the door, I was like, oh, damn. You know, it was just kind of like I was hoping he wouldn't be there, I guess, which is silly that he wouldn't be there. Well, um, the sheriff gave him the he gave him the heads up. Yeah, that's true. Well, like I said, I was watching it on a tour bus, so I'm going <laughs> to use that excuse. <laughs> um, um, but- no, I I still, though, I, I, I guess I'm I'm with you on the fact that that did not take away from it at all. It was still shocking. Yeah. And you felt and horrible think, for him. You felt horrible for her. Yeah. And he really dips into a level of cruelty that I did not expect. I mean, he kind of lashes out at her, ends up calling her a drunk and a slut. And, uh, it, it really does feel, uh, it really does feel nasty in, in that, you know, the, the way that of he course. kind of gets to that degree. Of course, though, but can you not understand that? I mean, he, I think he genuinely has feelings for her, that he genuinely likes her. So how are you going to feel? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but how are you going to feel when you walk in uh, on somebody? It doesn't matter whether you're um, doing a sting trying to arrest somebody, whether or not it's false or true. But to walk in and find this person that you've been intimate with, that you care about, in bed with somebody else, you're going to lash out. You're going to say horrible things. I think unconnected to what he had already kind of been learning about her, though. Like, he he has been learning about her. He has, not only has he learned about the experience that Camille had with her roommate that killed herself, not only learning that Camille um, kind of, you know... Is, is somebody who is, um, engaging in self-harm, but also knowing that Adora may have killed her little sister. Like he, he is developing this knowledge base. So I thought that he would, uh, approach it in a, in a somewhat different way. But I guess in the greater context of this show, what this is really talking about is how 
people with mental illness can be marginalized by others. Yeah, but I think in the heat of that moment where he was not expecting to find them in that state, he's obviously going to take that very personal and you're not going to be thinking, he's not going to be thinking, oh, but she's damaged and blah, blah. He's thinking, fuck you. I thought we had something and you are dropping your pants for this guy. You know, I mean, that's where he's going to go. So it's it's like I, I felt bad for him and I felt bad for her because we know her story. We know what this actually was. It's not because she had feelings for him. It's that they had this shared connection of this understanding of of the situations that they've been in. And it was that allowing yourself to be vulnerable, it had nothing to do with romance or anything like that, right. um, which I don't really think it did with Camille and the detective either. But um, on his side, I, I felt that it did. So, I mean, we can understand it from her side, but I can understand it from his side, too, of of sure. being in that moment of walking in on somebody. So, no, I... I Yes, what he said was cruel, but it, I, I don't find it surprising or out of the realm of possibility or shocking that he said any of that. But then he also, and this is kind of the thing that, that I think is another statement that the show is making. Not only in that moment is the show making a statement about about how we marginalize people that have um, mental health issues, but I think they're also talking about uh, denial. and Because... In that scene, Richard just dips right into denial and immediately buys into the narrative that he knows better than he knows that it's not true. He was actually on to something. He was pursuing a lead. He has had a hunch or an instinct that there may be something else going on here. But then in that scene, he completely flips around and now believes with the same narrative that everybody else believes that this dude is guilty, even though there is no evidence, even though the statement from the witness is a complete fabrication. He still chooses to believe it. And so now he is no better than the other men of Wind Gap. So I don't I don't remember the exact words or exchange that happened, but is is it that or is it just the fact that no, I'm gonna go along with him being arrested right now because I'm pissed off because he was fucking the girl that I like. So I'm gonna go along with him being taken away. I mean, he is saying, he's saying, he says in that scene with her, it's always the family. It's always the family. They found her blood in his house. It's always the family. So he has bought into this thing. And I think the blood is probably the best evidence. But at the same time, they don't have all the forensic, uh, you know, information, I don't think. Or maybe they did have it. You know, I'm not sure. But. You know, he is now completely bought into the the narrative that John Keene is the one who did it. And what's really interesting about that in the larger context of this show, in an earlier scene where Camille and John are at the bar, he talks about how his mother gave him a book about how denial is healthy for men coping with grief like that. And sure enough, what the hell are all the men in this show doing? They're all in denial. The chief is in denial. Now you've got Richard in denial and Alan is way fucking in denial 
about what's going on and his complicity in what's been happening. But I think also with the detective, though, he's going to operate solely on what the evidence is. And that evidence, as superficial as it is, because I I mean, I I think we pretty much know how that blood got there um, because of a conversation that happened between Camille and John. Um, He's going by that evidence and he sees that evidence. He sees that girl's blood in their house and that's he's like, well, that's that goes along with the stats of it being the family. And, and so that's the way that he's going, because that's what the evidence is showing right now. Yeah. But because of the conversation with Camille and John had about his sister biting and we see the girlfriend, John's girlfriend, uh, Brittany or whatever her name was, how she had that bite on her ear. I'm pretty sure that's there's something happened there. There was a struggle there between them at some point, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, you know, who who knows? I, I think that there is, again, there's a big piece of this that still remains to be revealed. Because the other thing that we have going yeah. on... Another interesting story parallel, I talked about the denial a second go- ago, but it's this kind of, um, it's this facade of being a provider of care that we also see in this episode. Obviously, we, we you know, have talked about Adora and what's going on there, but also Ashley and her relationship to John and how she is trying to pretend to be a caretaker of his, but actually it is really for her own benefit it's for her own publicity it's for herself to get attention yeah which is the same thing that adora suffers from that munchausen by proxy yeah i mean there is definitely there's definitely some of that going on um another thing i wanted to talk about too is amma in this episode where she's bedridden and she keeps she seems to know exactly what the hell is happening but she's allowing it to happen anyway why do you think that is why i'm not sure i'm not sure why i i don't know like is she herself playing kind of some game here is she is she maybe more capable to deal with this than camille is is she or or than Miriam was is she somehow is she trying to turn this around because it ties back to something that she said in a previous episode where she talked about uh, guys, where she says, you know, she just lets guys do things to her in that way you're controlling them. You know, you can recontextualize that statement into she knows what Adora is doing mm. and she's allowing Adora to do it anyway. And in that way, she seems to have some sort of control. Is it as simple as she likes when Adora mothers her? Or is there some greater thing that she's trying to pull off here? Who knows? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know if we will know. I'm not sure, and I, 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 I wish that this episode would have been a couple episodes ago because now it's it's finally starting to seem interesting, and now I'm wanting to know more about the dynamics of these characters. But there's only one episode left, and 
uh, it it's it's like I'm gonna want more than that. I mean, I guess it's good to want more, but God, there was so much repetitive shit to get here. But this is good. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of the great pieces of imagery in this episode is the way Emma is wearing that like crown of flowers. Where she just looks dead in the face. She has this, like, crown of flowers on her head. That is some really striking imagery there. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I had a thought, and it just left my brain. Shit. <laughs> Damn it! I forgot what I was going to say at the moment <laughs> that I was going to say I, it. I was, I was also curious about what Emma was doing when she... Um, when she was trying to go into Camille's room, turn on her computer, uh, then she ended up finding the file for the, um, the, the dead girls. I, I don't know. Like, it definitely seems like she's trying to hatch some kind of plan or get some information. So the wheels are turning, but I'm not sure why she's continuing to push herself so far. Well, I think she was messaging she was messaging somebody at one point on her phone and then Adora takes her phone away. Mm-hmm. So I assumed that she was getting onto the computer to try to contact somebody or to continue whatever discussion it was that was happening on the phone that she wasn't able to continue. So I think she may be telling somebody about what's happening or something. I don't know. Hmm. But I assume that she was going out trying to get on the computer to continue whatever that conversation was. Yeah, I really, I really don't know. Um, but I think that's going to be interesting to see how whatever she's pulling off, how that's going to play into the end game of this series. Uh, and then, you know, another phenomenal piece of acting is seeing Amy Adams play the role of Camille when she's starting to put together what her mother has done. Yeah. That is just tremendous. Her performance is so layered. It's, it's just layered with pain and with heartbreak and with disappointment. And, uh, it's just the emotional gamut. Amy Adams just crushes it in this episode and Patricia Clarkson crushes it too. She's so good. Yeah, I, you know, that was one of the things that I've said very, very early on, and I've, I've repeated it is that, you know, with whatever negativity I may have in regards to the pacing and some of the storytelling here, the real high point has been in the performances of the show. And, and I would be shocked if it's not recognized for that. Yeah. And then, of course, part of that reveal is where we get all of the kind of, monstrous behavior of Adora starting to become more and more crystallized in Camille's mind. And uh, there's just that fucking gruesome scene of her biting the baby on the face. Awful. What the hell? What, how did I miss a scene? I don't remember seeing that. Maybe I'm serious. I don't remember seeing that. She's cradling the baby. You see the baby being cradled a few times, and then she just leans in and bites it right on the face. Holy crap. Like I said, I was watching on a cell phone, and I maybe I bent down to grab a, my bag of chips out of my bag, but I 
totally missed that. <laughs> oh wow. Uh yeah, I mean it yeah, is I did not see it that. is very it is very unsettling. And it's all kind of presented with with Adora trying to, you know, present herself as this kind of righteous caregiver, this figure who is struck by tragedy but seems to always persevere it's all it's all designed for the glorification of her own image and ego it's all just a game that she plays and uh you know that reveal is is just so unsettling it's 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 all an act it's all an act and of course, we also know that Alan has known everything that's been going on the whole time. And now you start to see, you know, when the headphones go on, it's like his way of tuning out the world. But it's also his way of being ignorant to the cruelty that, uh, willfully ignorant to the cruelty of Adora. Yeah, which... uh leads us to the the key word of the hour which is complicity or complicity wow i can't even talk complicity (laughs) he knows about it but he's just going along and and playing dumb you know and i was also thinking about how they they pulled the teeth out of that one girl and how um you know how that was they 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 kind of made a big deal about that earlier in the season and now you look at it as you know she was somebody who was a biter and it was a way to get revenge on her for biting you yeah. know when she fought back so i i think what we're heading towards here is a reveal not just that adora is somehow kind of controlling this this whole thing but maybe she's had help it could be from alan it could be from somebody else are we going to see adora with some kind of a bite on her i don't know i don't know i i i'm not sure you know it could be a matter of her and vickery working together it could be her and alan that are doing some of this stuff Because we know that Vickery has a thing for Adora. We know that Vickery seems right. to be in denial about some of what Adora's done. And we've also seen Vickery wielding a pair of pliers in the show, and there was a whole big thing about pliers being used to pull the teeth out. Right, that's true. But it also seems to be that maybe Vickery has some sort of suspicion about Adora because he's look he asks the girls roller skating where Ama is and they say that she's sick and he seems to maybe be suspicious there. Yeah, I took it as suspicion as well. I don't know. Hmm. So I think we've got a few different things that we're going to another another piece of this that we can start looking at is like you know, let's not forget about the little boy and the the whole woman in white thing and his mother's illness and like, you know how how deep does all this run? Right, and and how much of this can they fit into one more episode? I'm not sure, but I'm excited to see it though. I am too. I mean, like I said, I'm still looking forward to being wrong. Um, I I don't entirely feel 
that I'm sold on everything, but I will give credit where credit is due and say that this was a very good episode. Was it too little too late? I don't know. It's all coming down to this last one. This has been my favorite episode of the series so far. I really like this yeah, one a lot. It was good. I think it is it's really well written, it's really well performed, and it is just creepy as hell. Yeah, I would agree with that. So we're we're excited to see what the uh, finale is going to hold. I mean, I think we're going to get some we're going to get some more reveals and hopefully we get some answers and some decent resolution here. And when I watch it, I will be in Scotland. Awesome. Well, you guys have heard our thoughts on Sharp Objects Episode 7 Falling. We'd like to hear yours as well. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixChill. You can also uh, subscribe on iTunes or listen on Stitcher. And if you are listening on those platforms, throw us a five-star review. You can find all of our new episodes at LRMOnline.com. Wanted to thank all of you guys for listening to us. We'll be back with another recap of the season finale next week. Until next time, everybody, may the Force be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors.